Hey guys, it's Spadoodle. Uh, you can always go to davidspade.com to look at my tour dates because I bless a lot of cities in America with my hilarious stand-up act. Or you could not go to it and get on my enemy list. Up to you. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. Now, you're out there, you have acres and acres, hundreds of acres. All you have to do is water and <laughs> okay. mow, and they'll do the rest. No. Weed control, which you hate. Fertilization. Mm -hmm. aer aeration. Can't stand it. Among others. They'll do all that. So you can do literally anything else. Dana's out there like Yellowstone. You have better things to do in your free time. I know you do. You don't want to focus on lawn care. True green is too good to be true, mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. But it is true. Right, David? Because yeah. you're going to have more time to do yeah, things that you want to focus on. All the hard work and it gets yeah. you to a great lawn. That's what you want. You take care of everything else you got to do in your life. You're very busy. Let True Green take care of this one thing. Get it off your plate. You know what? I do have some space. I want to put some grass down. Some I, I might. This, <laughs> I'll, I'll, talk, I'll call you later, talk, True Green. Talk to True Green. <laughs> Where can listeners mm -hmm. purchase or learn more? You go to truegreen.com you do you let true green do your lawn care visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed you can trust true green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the pga tour whoa they offer a satisfaction guaranteed and they have a verified best price promise which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality that is such a cool thing good job true green you're nailing it Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Oh, yes, you heard me right. You can talk to an actual human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com. Slash credit card. You guys, today is Joe Piscopo. Now, people have asked us to have on different people. You know, we've had so many people on, but Joe Piscopo is one of the OGs. And I hate to say, when you say his name, usually people say, oh, he was back in the Eddie Murphy days. And he was Eddie Murphy's probably best friend. Um, and I'm, I think they're still very close. But that was back in that era. So it was after the first five years, then there was a couple of uh, grumbly years and getting on their feet. But he was there when he and Eddie were tearing it up and he was huge. He did a great job on the show. He has so many funny stories. He's just very good at telling stories. Um, and he really brings it. He knows how to talk. He knows how to entertain you. He used to do impressions. We do a few of those. Of course, Dana jumps in on those. And, uh, just a very, very likable guy and a very humble guy. And we had a great time talking to him. So without further ado, here we go, Joe Piscopo. Joe has left the Zoom. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Um, I got you. Except I can't see. I got something saying record by staying in this meeting. Okay, I consent. Got it. Okay. There's my man. 
Yeah, Dana. that's right. Are we record, are we recording now or is this? Yep. Like we're always recording. Chat? We don't have any intro. We're not like professional. <laughs> we don't say here's our guest or anything. No, <laughs> we just go. Where's David? Where'd David go? I'm right here. Do you see me? There you are, baby. How are you, man? I'm right at the bottom of the screen. I don't know. Look why. at his stuff. Hey. Look at his stuff. I got to tell you, David. Can I start? Dana crushed it at at an event on Friday night. He was out there, and it was like 800 close to a thousand baseball players who just wanted to talk like baseball. Right. <laughs> and a lot of folks have done the event and haven't done really well, great. So Dana mm-hmm. goes, how's it going to be, Joe? And I go, it's going to be great. I gave him one of those. It's yeah. going to be great. And you, and you, you nailed it. I was off. I lost my notes. Did you find them? I lost my notes. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know where I was. I felt bad about that one for a while, but afterwards, Joe, being what? very nice, said, did you tell him to, like, our producer, Matt? He goes, everyone has a tough time here, even Seinfeld. You know, <laughs> So I didn't know the bar was low. But, yeah, it was a little extremely nice people. But the room went way back. And there was a lot yeah. of chatter because yeah. it's a cocktail yeah. party. You know, yeah. you yeah. were you playing to a pre-tape? You had a band. I was just off to the side. So you come out and sing. No, New York you're a little of both. We had a live band there, okay. but I cranked what you heard. What you heard was a pre-tape. We cranked it up to make it easier. But that's also and with the. But I did. But I put the live girls on stage. David, I've turned into the Wayne Newton of comedy. Thank you. That's and fine. so I just got the girl. Got the girls singing with me on stage. It was a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun though, man. Listen, I love it. I've done those kind of corporate gig or a charity gig. I did one just up in Calgary. They wound up being yeah. very nice, but you know, it's always a crapshoot. You just don't know. They, they have other things in their mind. Yeah. And if you're a exactly. surprise while they're eating their steak, they go, it's been an eight hour meeting. And now we're going <laughs> to hold you hostage for one more hour while we're here. And they go, Stevie Nicks, David Spade. Oh, I heard it was Stevie Nicks. Yeah. I always say, when did they get up? 6 a.m. for the breakfast meeting. When did the open yeah. bar start? At four. When do I go <laughs> on? <I> got- <laughs> 11. Okay. All right. 11 at night. <laughs> So, so I got to tell you, David, so, so we, I always, when I MC, like back in the days when I started at the improv a hundred years ago, yeah. before you young people were born, you know, we want to know that. I would always, yeah. Story. Yeah. No, but I was, I would always be uh, cognizant and responsible to who's on stage. Cause it's your, your job to get the crowd going and then hand it off, you know? Mm-hmm. So I felt that way with Dana particularly, you know, so I'm going like, okay, so we start the whole thing. And it's going great. The data comes out and I go, wow, he's really working. He's working with the crowd. It's great. And now he's going to close. And then we're going to start the night in the awards. Yeah. And we're going to close. It. And then he picks up his guitar, strums the guitar. It's dead as, <laughs> as, as, as the door. Dead. Ah. He can't get And I'm going, oh, man. So I'm off stage. It's yeah. dead. It's, I'm off stage. I'm going. So I go to the guy with the headphones, my, my buddy Jordan. I go, so I call the back of the room, man. His, his monitor's out. I'm not getting anything. At all. And they couldn't figure it out. And I said, give me the mic. Give me the mic. So they gave me the mic. So I walked out on stage yeah. and I held my microphone next to Data's Smart. guitar. And I was just my stand. Well, you know what? You helped and out. And then you had, your- a, you had a great one-liner at that point because you're kind of bending down. Actually, you placed the mic perfectly. I don't know if you'd know that to get some volume because it was a short. What I do. And then what, what Joe do. said was, this is. A career highlight for me. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Big Big laugh from Uncle Joe. I, I like that. It was great. But I tell you, it was great. It, it was great, you know, and, and it was fun. And thank, thanks. Dude. Yeah. Well, th- thank you, yeah. Frank. I mean, Joe. I Joe, uh, <laughs> sometimes those gigs are contractually like 60 minutes and they 
And that's why, like, if Dana is short five minutes, you sometimes have to go do something extra, even if you're killing, because you might get off 99% of the time. They said, great. We didn't even need that long. You did great. But sometimes yeah. they go, we paid you for an hour. You did 54. And you go, oh, my God. It, it's all but, it's all flipped. They said they said 45. And then they sent me a text the day of the show and said, really apologizing, saying, you, could you do just 30? Because when I when Joe was backstage, he goes, what are you going to do? 20, 25? You know, because it, like I said, we're we're an aperitif. We're not the show. But then mm -hmm. later they said, well, if you feel it, go longer. I don't know how long I did. But anyway, Joe was there, Power got dirty. to hang did you, out. Oh, did you? Yeah. Did you did you look at your phone while you're on stage? You glanced at it to make sure you had the time, right? Did you did I see you do that? You were just I saw you had a phone on stage. You, you were I must have lost you a did. sense of time. I don't remember. <laughs> you know, once I because my guitar thing is like I'm I'm going all over the stage. It, I'm in the zone. It's really loud. It's like for a for a room that's a little unsettled, it's a big closer. And then when it's like, uh-oh, it happens about every one, every 20 shows. Like, oh, there's a short. It's not going to be amplified. So I just sort of froze until you rescued me. Folks, We the Joe Piscopo has been our guest today. And yep. this is uh, about an event we did. <laughs> no. So can we go back just for a second to the how yep. you, just a little out of bog. We know that your time on SNL at 80, but. You're like you're very young when you get on the show. What did how did that happen so quick? Right? Were you what what, what yeah. tell us that little journey? I, I think I was about 26, 27 when we hit, man. And I, I you know I went to the improv and, and tell me if I talk too long, man. Love you guys. By the way, with great respect, to you Dana, to you David, great respect for you guys because you you held the great legacy of SNL and you know and you. and uh, just so proud to be with you here and 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 it's it's really cool to be with you, you know. But I got, to, but what I did, I I just wanted to be a working stiff, you know. But I went to the improvisation because I heard that they had like comedy nights, that, just like all of us did. Mm -hmm. This was in New York. It was Forty Fourth and Ninth. Mm -hmm. It was Hell's Kitchen. It was back in the seventies when New York was a million times even worse than now. It was terrible. You could, I mean, you. I, I remember distinctly walking from the parking uh, lot where I parked the car, and then I walked down Forty uh, Fourth Street, and there were like you know, bodies and police lines, you know what I mean? And I like, go, oh, that's good. Somebody got whacked, you know? It was like, but it was like that. It was, no, it was like that. So, so then I said, well, let me try, at least try it. So I remember I went in the first night, it was audition night. And, 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 you know, God, you guys are young, young. And it was like, I went back then, that is when comedy was rock and roll. It was, I tell you, all of a sudden comedy just came into its own. And I went, I got to try that. I just wanted to get on stage. And then be a working stiff. Let somebody hire me to do the third, fourth lead in an hour, you know, episodic. That's all sure. I wanted to do. Yeah. You know? Get on so, fucking so Matt Walk. <laughs> <laughs> Great reference. <laughs> and that's exactly what I was thinking. The bar wasn't too high for me, David. What am I going to tell you? You know? So, so not to take anything away from Matt Lock. So I go in, I came in Lincoln Tunnel, came around, going down Ninth Avenue. I looked down at the improv. There had to be 400 people jam like it was like Times Square in Hell's Kitchen jam. And I looked and I said, oh, and I panicked and I went right back into the Lincoln Tunnel and went right back home, totally chickened out. Then I came back hmm. and I and when people had to just start out, we used to have to get there because everybody wanted to do comedy at the time. 12 noon, 12 noon. And at eight o'clock, roughly 830, the improv would come out. Judy Orbach would come out and she would hand out numbers. So to see when you would be on. So you, if you got there earlier, like at noon, you could you could kind of go, all right, I'm on third. And then each week, me, Gilbert Gottfried, 
Uh, Alan Combs was there. Larry David was there. Jerry came later, but we would jockey numbers around, you know, to see when you would go on and you would get your five minutes, man, your five minutes. And it was the most petrifying thing in the world. And I did that for about six weeks. And then I finally uh, got that for some reason they put me up and it worked, you know, and Chris Albrecht, you know, gave me this. He got this, you know, he got me this, you know, HBO. Was he the HBO? Just an uh, agent. Yeah. Uh, One of the great television executives ever club manager and owner with Bud Friedman and Silver Friedman back in the late 70s. Went on I, to didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know. And that. he was That's my great. agent in the 80s. Chris Albrecht. He Chris was, Albrecht right? was? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Before yeah. HBO. He was the guy. Yeah. Like, we, used to call, we used to call him the general because we used to play. Guys, we used to play. It's, I, I, there's got to be a film or a documentary about it. We used to play softball. We were all Yankee fans. We'd go to Central Park. And then and then, and then, then Larry was there. Larry David was there. And Larry was then, just the way he is now, you know, completely <laughs> neurotic, you know? And he would just be there, and he would say the most brilliant things. When Larry went on stage, when finally I became a regular, and we used to have to work out, and you'd get up at 1, 2 in the morning. When Larry went on stage, everybody would just rush to the little opening that led to the showroom, which was about a couple hundred people. And we would watch Larry and he would, he would get into fights with the audience. Like you hear about it, it was true. Mm-hmm. So he would get in with his attitude and start fighting back and forth. It was, but it was genius. It was, and everybody knew Larry is a genius. And then I can remember distinctly, we would play softball. And then uh, I was playing third base. Larry was playing shortstop. And, and then I could hear Larry and we're waiting, and you know the, the the game is on. I hear Larry going, "Oh, oh. He's, like, you know, he's like miserable about he's <laughs> in the middle of the game." And I go, and I'm and I gotta keep my eye on the batter because I'm in the hot corner. I go, Larry, what what happened? Ah, oh, I stepped, I stepped a dog shit. I, I stepped a dog do. I stepped in. Dog shit. What'd you do? He goes, I, I threw away my shoes. I have those shoes. This was a legitimate conversation <laughs> with Larry David. The time, the time An episode the time of was, Curb, yeah. Exactly, exactly. It was exactly right. So it was it was bizarre. But then, then we got uh, we heard that SNL was leaving, and John Belushi and uh, Danny would come hang out at the clubs, particularly Catch a Rising Star. The comedy clubs were uh, it was Hell's Kitchen, and then it was the Upper East Side was Catch. Mm-hmm. Even before the comic strip, but they and, had blown up, Joe. So those are two monster stars coming in. Yeah, yeah, you know exactly right. So, they, okay. no, but we didn't know when they first went on the air. We were all working Saturday night uh, live. Oh, okay. We, they, we, you know, we were working on Saturday nights, and we didn't even know. And I remember being at the bar at Catch Rising Star, and I go, uh, "How you doing?" And nice as ever. It was John Belushi. Hey, John Belushi. Hey, I'm on new show Saturday Night Live, and Danny Ackroyd right there. The times were nuts, man. Patty Benatar down by the bar, you know, it was crazy. But then, then we heard they left and they were leaving and they needed a new cast. And I, and, and I didn't want anything to do with it because you couldn't replace the original cast. You just couldn't. I mean, it was Gilda and oh, Danny Ackroyd yeah. and it was, it was Chevy and, and, and John and you mm-hmm. couldn't do it. And I didn't want to do it. So long, long story short, even longer than this. Take your time. I had a friend who was, <laughs> no, there was, a, there was a, a writer named John DeBellis. And John was hired by Gene Domanian, who was the new producer, Lauren's former right hand. And I don't know what happened politically there, but Gene was running the show. And and Gene said, I need a utility guy. And John said, I know Joe Piscopo is at the clubs. He does characters and voices. She goes, bring him up. So I went right up to the 17th floor and I auditioned for Gene. 
and 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 she i heard she used like woody allen as a reference because she and woody were very close yes. so, so so i so i did the audition and they go okay you could now do the big audition and i go what and they did a sweep of that town nbc came in and they swept the town and the big buzz data the big buzz was like who's going on snl who's going to replace the, the original sure. cast so and everybody was scared and they want to do it i said i don't know but i don't want to do it i want to just keep doing what i'm doing i was doing commercials mm -hmm. i was doing you know like like comedy clubs and i was doing great that and that that was my that was my career high data for real you know got it. so 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 That's then good. then they go okay now you got to go to the regular audition and i go to the regular audition and it was me uh and there were some great talented people that gilbert was there paul rubens was there he did oh. he was there when i was uh -huh. there Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Rewind it back to the days of chill accent on the beach and all day fun with Spring Break on DraftKings Casino. Play exclusive games like Fan Fave Rocket. The excitement is endless, the vibes are right, and the cash prices could be huge. New players start playing with just five bucks and get 100 back instantly in casino credits. Download the app and use code FOTW to book your one-way ticket to fun with DraftKings Casino. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. 21 plus. Physically present in Connecticut, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia only. Void in Ontario. Eligibility and other restrictions apply. One per opted-in new customer. $5 wager required. Max. $100 in casino credits awarded, which require one-time playthrough within 168 hours. See terms at casino.draftkings.com slash promos. Restrictions apply. So can I ask you one question, Joe? How many yeah. years were you doing stand up before 1980? Was it five years, six years? Yeah. And you had, and you had, at one point knew you were, could do impressions and voices. You had that kind of yeah. Uh, yeah. style. Yeah. Okay. So then, yeah. then you then you got noticed. Now you don't want the show. So, but you got you're gonna but do. But it's perfect. It's perfect for the show. But you don't want it. So then what? No, so then what happened? Well, no, no, no. We do, so we do the audition, and then they go, okay, we want to hire you. So Chris calls me. Albrecht calls me. You got the part. You're going to be the utility guy, you know? And I'm going, I just, and I remember arguing with him because I was making good money. I, you know, I joined uh, SAG and AFTRA. And I was, I just, and I said, you can't replace Belushi and Aykroyd. Please don't make me do it. And, and Chris was, he was the boss back then to, to all of us young guys. And, and he, listen, he was our age too. But I said to him, all right, man, I'll go in, but I don't feel good about this. You feel like it's so, no win, right? It was, and you know what, David? I don't want to say nothing, but I was, I was right, kind of. Up. We did ten shows. N nobody's fault. You just couldn't replace America's sure. favorite television show, one of the greatest television shows of all time. The writing of Alan Zweibel, the writing of Herb Sargent, you know, Franken and Davis. You couldn't replace that, and we didn't. And but Gene Domenia was great. I remember, I went up. She said, "You're in." She hired Gilbert. She hired a couple other people, and then there was a kid. And he's up there on 17th floor in the back, you know, uh, off of Lauren's office. There was a little sitting area. And, and I and I uh, said, they said, Joe, this is Eddie Murphy. I said, hey, Eddie, how you doing? We from Long Island. Never heard of him. Never knew him. We hit it off immediately. And they said, yeah, they want me to audition. 
So I go, I go, all right, what do you want to do, man? I, I, this is exactly the way it happened. And, and he goes, uh, we said, let's do the word association sketch that Chevy and Richard Pryor did. Let's do that. You do Pryor, I'll do Chevy, and we'll do it. So we went, we're in an office, we're upstairs on the 17th floor. And then I, we had the script and we did the word association, you know, all yeah. as an inappropriate as it was. A famous sketch and, and, where it was incredibly could not do it today, but it was Chevy Chase and Richard Pryor. So you guys re duplicated that, just met. Got the script from people there, and then we're okay. So then, what happened? <laughs> Fascinating. Well, it, then, then Eddie just like crushed it, man. I mean, he was like, I mean, he crushed. And I'm next to him, going like, "Oh man!" So now, now they went, "Okay, we'll let you know." Like to Eddie, and I, and, and if I remember correctly, and I went into Gene, I said, "This kid's the next prior. This kid is the next prior." I said, "That was unbelievable." Well, we don't know. NBC thought he was too edgy. They was too edgy. We said no. True. So they made him. They, they, yeah, they made him a featured player. You know, which oh, meant, funny. Like, he, and he's what? nineteen, right? In eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, yeah. nineteen. Yeah. Which so makes sense. Nice. Which makes sense. Yeah, you know. So they brought him in, and mm -hmm. little by little, so we did ten shows. Gilbert was on it, and it just nobody's fault. I, I don't want to, and, and I got a, I got a big shout out to Billy Mary, the genius of Billy Mary, the heart of Billy Mary, one of the great guys ever. He came in. And he came in on, on that new cast and he he guest hosted and that meant a lot. And then he took us out and he all kind of brought us together. But it just didn't work. So so cut to this. And tell me if I'm talking too much because no, I want to lay this out. We, we want so, we want you to talk. This is great. I, I knew you'd be a great no, guest so, and you are. So go ahead. So, so, no, no, listen. so, so then then we go like this. We go, uh oh, NBC pulled the plug. What happened? It's off. You know, and we were like off the air. Touch shows. I thought I knew this would happen. Say, Chris, I told you. I so, so now, now they're calling everybody up to the 17th floor. Now they replaced Gene Dominion. And by the way, Gene gets credit. She hired me, but she hired even more importantly, Eddie Murphy. She hired Eddie Murphy. You got to give yep. Gene Dominion yep. credit for that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. So, so now, so now they're bringing Dick Eversoll. Ever, Dick Ebersole is legendary. Uh, so Dick Ebersole, you know? know, like he was sort of there with Lauren a little bit in the beginning. He's an NBC. Yeah. Are you, you guys know the history, man. Listen, Dick Ebersole was the executive at NBC that was with Brandon Tartikoff, yeah. rest his soul. Yeah. Another great NBC mm -hmm. executive as, as Ebersole was, as uh, Mr. Ebersole was. And, but, and then I think, I think Dick and Lauren were very close. I think so. That's yeah. the way it happened. So, so, so I guess they went to Lauren. They said, "Look, sorry, what do we do now?" And I get, I'm, 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 I don't know. This is conjecture. Mm -hmm. And they brought in Dick. So Dick, we went into Lauren, was Lauren's office, but Eversol's there, and he's bringing. And we're, I'm sitting out there in the writers' wing, and everybody's coming out, and they're all getting whacked, guys. <laughs> it was like this, everyone's getting, getting whacked. whacked. Why they they're firing. Whacked. It was like St. Valentine's the entire. They cast. bring you uh, in to, they bring you in to fire you. Yeah, they bring, they brought everybody in. Whacked one by one. It was oh. like the St. Valentine's Day massacre. Listen, so then I remember Ann Risley, great talent, whacked. Denny Dillon, great talent, whacked. Whacked. They got, got Charlie Rocket, rest his soul. You, Rocket used the F, dropped the F-bomb, done, done. Tim, Easy Tim whack. Krasinski, was he whacked or kept? No, no, Tim Kim oh, later. later. This was okay. like, this, yeah, this was, they, they, this was a preliminary. Yeah. So now Gilbert, to me, was one of my best friends. Yeah. And we came up together at the clubs. He walked out and he goes, he got fired. He got fired. And he, I said, you got, you got fired? So now they go, all right, Mr. Paul Murphy, come on in. 
So me and Eddie go in and me and Eddie had, we had a sets, sets to do at the comic strip or wherever <laughs> we were going. We were, we were, we in our heads. That's where we were. So, and we didn't care. And I fed off of the reckless abandon of Eddie Murphy because he just didn't care about anything. It was a beautiful thing to be a part of. So now we're going into the Lauren's beautiful office and Dick Eversold back there like this, you know, and I sit down and he sits down and Dick goes like this. Well, Eddie, Joe, we've, uh, we've decided to keep you. And we went, I'll never forget, great dick. Look, we got a couple sets and we got to make our set if you buy it. We could care less. I think the cockiness helped, guys. You know what I'm saying? Oh, definitely. Yeah. But it was yeah. like, I mean, so so that was it. And then, well, then were we you, there. Joe, were you relieved or were you sort of like, oh, no, I'm stuck on the Titanic? So, oh, no, I'm stuck on the Titanic. Yeah. I really thought, it wasn't oh, really helping you at that point. You're like, God, we're just going to sink further in this. I know, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, but I got to, but again, a shout out to, I'm sure he leaned on Lauren, but uh, Dick Eversall knew what he was. He said, you couldn't match, fellas, the um, writing of, of the, and the genius of the original cast. You just, you couldn't match. hundred percent. It was a perfect storm yes. with the, the politically, with the, with the way Lauren put everything together. Yeah, I, it was genius. And whoever was going to follow that original, because they're the original rock stars. Take of the hit, comedy. Yeah. They were, you know, and then it was impossible right. to follow. I had a buttress of years, but to follow that hard. And proof is Eddie Murphy. You couldn't scout in the whole country a better guy to that does well on SNL. And was he blowing up at all, or was it still just people just turned the TV off? No, no. We it started to catch on a, a little bit. You know why? Yeah, you have to give Dick Ebersole credit because he brought in entertainment. He said we can't match the hipness of, of Lauren's original show. Let's just entertain. Let's just be funny. So we took, that was a great lesson. That was, that was, I don't know if Lauren told, you know, Mr. Eversall that, whatever it was, mm. we went on. And then Eddie and I, out of, I guess, fear and survival, we kind of just joined together and started writing for ourselves, reaching out to great, two great writers, Barry Blaustein, David Sheffield. And they were the key writers for Eddie and I. Tim Kazarinsky came in, and Timmy really was the captain of that of that cast. Mm -hmm. He was great. He and Mary Gross came in. Yes, and and we had, you know what? We started to gel a little bit. Started having some fun a little bit, and and I got to tell you, I think what maybe probably made it work when Eddie and I were doing the in ones. You know, David, I said to uh, Dana the other night, I said the, the the great thing that Dana always did, and and you as well, is that the in ones is what really I thought yeah. sold it. You wanted to see, you wanted to see the church lady. You wanted to see whether for me, uh, the direct to guy, camera, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Directly to the camera. We would Single write these silly, yeah. crazy Eddie sketches, you know, whatever it was. And Eddie and I would do the in ones together or I would do it. And that seemed to gain, you know, some steam. And I go, my people, we go like this, by the grace of God, it worked, you know, it just, mm -hmm. I, I couldn't, Oh, yeah. wow. Just just for a second, because I just my brain gets curious about this stuff. So you how many episodes did you do with Gene Domanian before it was sort of just 10? Just 10. And then there's a purge and then the show starts again in the fall. Was there a gap of it not being on the air? Yeah, there was, was a gap of it not being here. Really canceled. I did not. I did not know. It that. was almost yeah. like a funeral and a wake for the first season. Yeah. You know, the great people. And then it's like, OK, they took the hit, the first 10 shows. Mm -hmm. Now it's almost like it can't be that bad. You know what I mean? Some Something about it. Yeah. And then you and Eddie started, for me, being in clubs and being aware of this whole situation, uh, 
you know, I, I felt that you and Eddie kind of were, you know, becoming stars. Obviously, you know, the two of you, you know, the uh, famous yeah. Sinatra uh, and Eddie doing Stevie Wonder Stevie almost Wonder. as a as dramatic actor, almost like it was very it shocked yeah. the audience when he started singing. And then your Sinatra, I think, is I mean, there's I got my Phil Hartman, you. But I think it's right yeah. up there with anybody who's yeah. ever yeah. done it, yeah. Yeah. you know. You're 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 Frank. You know, when, when yeah. they, they asked me to do the Frank Sinatra early on, I mean, we were now we were searching. We were searching. What are we doing? How do we how do we keep going? And and we had the pretty good guests would come on, and then he brought on like like Jerry Lewis came on, which was great. And then he would he would book Don Rickles, and then Sid Caesar, and we went back and, and it was, <laughs> holy I, I, shit, that's big. It, it was like it was like let's just get guys that can do this. And then but early on they said Joe, we need the Frank Sinatra character. This was early on. And even during Gene's time, I said, I can't do it because it's a respectful thing and I don't want to make fun of it. I did it in the clubs. I did it for my SNL uh, audition. I said, I can't do it. I, and so I fought it. Then, and the way it go, I wrote Mr. Ressa a letter because I wanted to be a team player. I wrote Mr. Sinatra a letter and I said, this is done with respect. This, this was the whole Italian New Jersey thing, guys. That's what this no, is about. Well, that's what I want to hear about because I'm from California. So this is yeah. like... <laughs> It's not dangerous, but you don't want to hurt Frank because for a, someone from New Jersey at that time, right. it's Frank Sinatra. Right. You know, right. you exactly. don't mess right. with Frank and you love Frank. That's right. So, yeah. It's exactly. It's, it's respect. Yeah. It's respect. And, and my father said, my father was an attorney. Rest his soul. He said, if you're not, you're not going to be a lawyer then, and you want to do entertainment, then look to Frank Sinatra because that's your role model. So here I am doing them. And then they asked me to do them in a, in a satirical way. And I said, I I can't, and because it, it's a, I'm telling you, it's hard to describe, but people, you know, would understand. It's a North Jersey Italian American thing, it's, and it's all about respect. And I told that to Mr. S. So I sent it to Mickey Rudin, his lawyer at the time, and I didn't hear anything back. I said, okay, let's do it. And we did it, but I always couched it. I always was respectful. Matter of fact, that Ebony and Ivory sketch was a, a Barry, Barry and David, uh, uh, Blaustein of Sheffield. Eddie and I came up with the idea. We ripped it. They wrote it, and it was really kind of vicious and edgy. And yeah. I and I had, to, I had to soften it just a little bit, even more. You know what I'm saying? So so and the old man I heard, Mr. S, was watching that from the Waldorf and saw the <laughs> sketch with his daughter Tina and Nancy. And they said, and his daughter said, Joe, why don't you go in and surprise Joe on the air? Which I would have had a coronary. But I had to tell you, the old man when I when I I got an invitation while I was at SNL to to go to a roast to attend and, and be at the podium of a roast of Dean Martin the master ceremonies was Frank Sinatra that was the approval see oh. and when when I met him he could not have been nicer from the whole time that I've, I've been with him a few times I was never on the inside of the rat pack you know mm -hmm. you know but he was mm -hmm. always so respectful always did so he, respectful. did he say maybe don't call me the old man maybe that's more <laughs> offensive than the sketch you know, you know, he was 52 at the time. <laughs> he was 52. You're like, it's nice to meet an old person like yourself. He's like, hey. Yeah. No, no. But you know what? Everybody who was around Mr. S, all the guys would call him the old man. The old man, like the captain. That's like the admiral. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ship. And yeah. then, and then, no, this, is, this is the story. So when when he first saw me doing him, you know, you guys even know. Uh, Charlie Callis. Remember Charlie of Callis? Of course. Yeah, he was like Jerry Lewis's sidekick on a talk show. He was Jerry Lewis, like another <laughs> extended version, a crazy guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
just to David, look him up. David, you got to put that <laughs> Someone told him to play it bigger, and he never looked back. <laughs> I tell you, so Callis opened for <laughs> Mr. Ed. It was Atlantic City, you know, 1980-something. And then they're in the dressing room at Caesars. Mr. S is about to do a second show. And they're in the, the dressing room about to step up to the stage. And on, in the dressing room on the TV, somebody had Saturday Night Live on. And I came on doing him. And it's the first time Mr. Sinatra saw me doing him. And the room grows silent. Ooh. Everybody goes, gosh, who's crazy enough? So Charlie Callis breaks the silence. He goes, what do you think, Captain? And uh, Mr. S looks at me doing him. And he goes, hey, he's pretty good. A little prick. Like that, yeah. which was, <laughs> <laughs> it's the best answer. What <laughs> great life! But, but he didn't like it. He, he got that it was respectful, and it was and it was all well. Great. There was so, even to this day. There at that ebony and ivory thing. It was kind of edgy because it was based on Paul McCartney and it was oh. about black and white getting together, all that stuff. And it was pretty. It was pretty edgy with Frank being the clueless, you know. But like that, the old Italian guy, the way they. Could be at that time. You're black, I'm white, you're singing. But at the very the very last thing you had Frank say, which I wonder if you kind of was sort of sweet and landed it completely different. Who cares? Or what did Frank say at the end of that sketch? God, you know, I got to tell you, I, I, and if folks watch, everybody's watching your podcast now, guys, I got to tell you, yes. that means so much to me what you just said, Dana, what you just said. Yeah. Because you do things on the air. You do things on the air, and and sometimes someone picks it up. Thank you for that. No, it was. I it, said, it, who cares, baby? Yeah, that yeah. changed cares, the whole baby? sketch, and it changed the whole vibe exactly. of Sinatra. He can do this and that, oh. and we all know that he was a champion for Sammy, and he wouldn't, you know, he, he was completely not that character. Yeah. So that was nice at the end. It really made a great. Thank landing. you for thinking of that. Social justice warrior he was. I mean, just for because folks yeah. don't understand when Mister F went to Vegas. That they and and he was playing the main room and he was playing with the Count Basie Orchestra, which was an all black orchestra. He had Quincy Jones mm -hmm. uh, arranging yeah. for him and conducting for him, and then and and Sammy would come on and they were staying on the other side of town. And, and Mister S said, "What is that? What are you going?" He had lunch with Sammy. Where are you guys staying? Where are you guys? He goes, "They're putting us. They're not. They wouldn't allow the performers to walk in the front." People forget. And 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 Mister S said. Baldy goes, look, they don't go, they don't come in and you treat them exactly like you're treating me, then I'm not going on. And he really Yo, no, he, 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 yeah, There's a brilliant documentary on Sammy Davis Jr. It, it speaks a lot to how Frank was like, if you don't treat him yeah. like you treat me, I'm out of here. I'm doing you, doing him, doing him, whatever. But um, that's a fascinating part. So uh, curious about that cast. Now you and Eddie, and then who, what was the cast that came in with you? I, I, I just because, it was Brad, Brad yeah. Hall and J Julie Louise Dreyfus. Right? Well, that was, you know, well, they had, when we first went in, we had, uh, it was mostly Timmy Kazarinski and Mary Gross. And then uh, we had a guy, I think Tony Rosado joined us for a little while. Yes. There was some other folks from Toronto. Robin Duke is brilliant. Yes. Robin Duke is brilliant. He was just brilliant and wonderful. And Mary as well. But Robin and I, we did the winers together. We could riff. And she, <laughs> yeah. she you know, she's one of to Toronto, to Toronto's second she, she's city. Great. You know she's great. And the winers was one of your reoccurring characters. That yeah, the audience would start mm -hmm. to applaud when you guys appear. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Well, I always said if, and if, if Warren was producing, it would have been a movie. 
You know, they could <laughs> It'll you be know, called the Winers. Know, we'll do it at uh, Paramount. It'll be a 40 Three sketches shoot. into one um, movie. Eddie will do a cameo, um, and we, we, we go in June. Really? Now let's eat. <laughs> So, but you also you also yeah. had Jim Belushi as well was in that era as, so Jimmy came in later, later and it was great and, and a great 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 actor and it was just great but but then they say we're bringing in Brad Hall Gary Kroger yes and we're bringing in Julie Louis Dreyfus now they were three young kids and they could not have been more pleasant more fun more talented they were great but to this day I feel guilty because it really was Eddie and I kind of hunkered down and write for ourselves. And if you didn't write for yourself back in the day, I guess it was pretty much with you guys. Yeah, you, you just didn't get on. You figured you know? out pretty no. quick. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So, no one's really looking bad. out for you. Yeah. That's right. It's just like that. And I always felt bad that I should have helped. You know, I mean, you know, it doesn't make any difference now. But like Julia was so sweet and nice and great. She was she was 19 at the time and she was great. And I always felt we should have probably got her into the sketches more, you know, but I don't think she needed our help. When, when you look I know. Back. What did but she, what did she do after SNL? <laughs> I mean, yeah, disappeared. Yeah. what has she really done? No, we hopefully will have her on as a guest too. And, you know, but it's also a luck factor. Like some sketch falls in your lap or someone writes you something good, or you blow up on something. Uh, you know, Dana got is Wayne's world. And that thing blows up. He doesn't know for sure. That's going to blow, you know? And so, yeah, you're in different things. Some things you really think are going to work. They don't. Something else blows up. I think it's hard, though, if you don't write for yourself for your own moves, like that's you have to show them like I go, I'm funny. Mm -hmm. And they go, they don't know. Like, oh, yeah. They're busy. You show them you can do something even around the office and you do an impression or anything. And they go, we should put that in something. And then you go, OK, good. You know, that's yeah, they, they need you need to help them. a little. It's bit like so you and Eddie writers. integrated with writers. So you would instigate you, this stuff I do at the club, Eddie. And yeah. then you had a couple writers who were like hungry for that because when it works that way, and it, your rhythms, mm -hmm. it, your sensibility is already in, 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 enveloped into the sketch, and then they hopefully improve it. You know, so yeah, but I, I get, and, and Eddie is, uh, I mean, force of nature. He's an absolute. He's a, he, he's he is a force of nature, but he's a comic genius, and and it's effortless, and it's instinctive. So we would be there. We'd be in uh, the producer's office, uh, one of the and one of the producer's office, and he he was watching Mister um, um, Rogers, you know, and he, and he goes, um, "No, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a street version of this." And I look at him, he goes, "I'm going to be Mister Robinson," and I'm going to be and I, and he would come up with the concept, and he would just and I remember one writer going, "I don't know if that's going to work," and he would say, "I'm doing it." Then he would say to me, he would say to me. I'm going to do Buckley. And I go, I'm sorry. Eh? He goes, I'm, no, I'll do Buckley. Remember Buckley for the little rascals? And I would go, and I was like his older brother because I had him by almost about 10 years. And, he, and I would say, Ed, it might be a little racist. You might want to just maybe not do that, you know? Mm -hmm. Bang. He didn't care. He went for it. And it was, I have to tell you, the joy of it to be next to it, you know, to, to experience it, especially to be live, to be live. When the, I don't believe we had a delay back then. And and we and and to be next to Eddie, whether we were doing Ebony and Ivory, whether I was watching him doing Buckley, or whether we would do my favorite thing, we would do a Solomon and Pudge, the two old guys in the bar, which was kind of a bittersweet thing. That was just a fill. It was meant to do a fill because they needed time right before one o'clock, and they would say, Eddie, Joe, just go up and do something. And Eddie and I just riff. That it was it was magic moments that I, I cherish forever. It was, and I told Eddie this when they gave him the Mark Twain Prize down there in Washington. 
And and Chappelle was there and Arsenio was there and Georgie Lopez was there. And it was it was like the, you know, except for me, it was like the Mount Rushmore of comedy, you know, and, it, <laughs> and, and everybody's going before we we're, we're, we're supposed to speak, you know, to Eddie at, at the Smithsonian the night before the event. What are we going to say? And I remember Chappelle going, hey, it'd be funny. What can I do? I said, guys, just speak from the heart, man. Just speak from the heart. And that's why when I got up, I said, Eddie, thank you for a great ride. Thank you for a ride of a lifetime. And within it, and it resonated. And we all had tears in our eyes. It was a beautiful thing. Out of comedy, you know, it was a, a lot of heart. It, the people may see us trying to be funny or silly or, you know, or outrageous. But I think we got a lot of heart and probably feel more than most, you know, guys. Are you catching the big game or making big mods going on that first date or installing that first break kit? Binging that new show or watching install videos? When you're a real car lover, the choice is obvious. eBay Motors has you covered with over 122 million parts to fit your number one ride or die. Brake kits, turbochargers, LED headlights, exhaust kits, bumpers, roof racks, and engines. Whether you're into the speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has all the parts you need for the ride you love. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Well, and also say, just state the obvious, and it comes up a lot on this podcast, just Rockefeller Center, 88, 17th floor, live television in New York City, me being from California. There's no more uh, viscerally intense thing you can do in show business. And everyone even moves on to movies or whatever they do. There still is just that and we were talking to Eric Andre the other day and he was like, how did you deal with the pressure? The pressure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. did you get more comfortable? Did you just feel good when you're out there with Eddie? Like we're going to kick ass because yes. you've got. Yeah. Great, great, great observation, David. It's exactly right. I was petrified the whole time. And I, <laughs> and, and I, I petrified and I just was always worried. And as a matter of fact, uh, the writers would always bust my chops because I was always so uptight on that's gotta be perfect. Before the show, before the show, I would say everybody be getting ready. Right after after the rehearsal, you know, the after shooting, you know, rehearsing, and it's like 9:30 and it's over, and we go over the notes. I'd run down under the bleachers and I would go to uh Al the cue car guy. Uh, I would go, I would go to Kevin the cue car guy, and I would just go. Let me see the cards, which was real. What a pain in the neck, Piscopo. I mean, really? But they, they did. No, they, I've they, done they, that. They ran. You know what I'm saying, David? Yeah, they yeah ran. you practice because you don't know where the sentence ends. And you're like, I want to get ready for exactly what it will be. So if that That's looks right. a little weird, I want to say that now. And then maybe That's they right. can tweak it. And then you go, ooh, could you go a little faster? Anything where you just go, it'll help. That's Whatever. Smart. It's so scary. Do anything you can. Yeah, I agree with you. We were live. We were live. No mm -hmm. safety net. It was mm -hmm. no safety net. I wanted to be perfect every single time. But I think working with Eddie, uh, Timmy Kazaristi as well, mm -hmm. um, and uh, that they were loose. You, when you're loose and you can have fun like that on stage, it was it was gold. It was yeah. just gold like that. That's where I relaxed. In the arena, right right in the, the belly of the beast, right live. We had... I mean, look, think of the numbers when we were on, guys. I mean, you know, was it 8 million? Was it 20 million? It wasn't the 30 million they had, you know, originally, but they were a lot. Still very, very big. Yeah. Yeah. No, Dana, no I, I worked with, uh, yeah. I knew Tim Kazarinski a little bit He's because yeah. we did something after that. He's a Chicago guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I worked with him after that. And he was super cool, dude. Uh, I remember I had Best. a great time with him. And uh, we didn't even talk that much about SNL. 
Oh, I wasn't. I wasn't on it yet. That's why we, I did it before that. Yeah. Wow. But Timmy, Timmy brought us all together. Timmy was like he was the liaison between the producer because they would say things, and we would, you know, through animosity uh, comes creativity. <laughs> yeah. So you know, so so if that, what do you mean? And then and then the worst was for me when they said, okay. All right, you gotta. We want you to do this sketch, and you didn't want to do the sketch, man. You just knew it wasn't gonna work, mm. but you had to do the sketch. And then you're waiting, and then and then you do your your dress rehearsal, you know. And then you wait, and you're in that. We, I just remember being remember being crammed in, you know, nine thirties coming to ten o'clock. Oh my gosh, we're live in an hour and a half, and somebody said, "Oh, the sketch is in that bad sketch that you're hitting." That oh, was tough. You gotta go that sell. You know, a, but we I have it. a question, <laughs> Joe. Yeah. Did did you have? Let's say you write the whiners or you write a first draft that gets through read through. Do you have a do you have a Thursday read through? Uh, I mean, a, a rewrite day. We had a sixteen hour rewrite day. You go through every sketch, or did you just go off whoever wrote it rewrites it? Whoever wrote it rewrites it. That's okay. great. They, but there were there were notes. There were notes. Okay. But then whoever, whoever wrote it rewrote. Whoever wrote it, if they had a rewrite, it was them. It was their piece. Right. Because like you know? sometimes when you gangbang it like that on a Thursday, it gets a little better because you've got everyone around the table giving you their best joke for that and you pick and then you do it. That's the way we yeah, did like it when I was there, right? Dana? Work on the on it with you. Yeah, it's oh, Conan like O'Brien yeah. and Bob Just Odenkirk sitting around and a table Jack Handy. Where everyone's trying to talk Downey. Yeah, play yeah. each other. Yeah. But Great I, writers. I, you know what? I love that. I wish we had it. So we because we didn't know what to do when we first went in and and now and now we're all there and the new cast is together. And we went in the back, that 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 back writing area. And then Dick Eversoll said, "All right, I'm bringing back Michael O'Donoghue." And he was like a famous writer from the original cast. Oh, yeah. Thank you, thank you. I'd love I'd love the the play by play you're doing. Dana. I just try to set that, the that, table. That, I'm just thinking the person who doesn't know anything about this yeah. part of SNL, and also your it's era right. is like a missing link for us. I mean, it's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. But I, I it, it, well, go well, ahead. Well, we're sitting there now, and and now Michael, the, Michael O'Donoghue's coming in. Oh my gosh! So now, and he and, and he and he was so theatrical and great. So we all waiting there. He makes an entrance, and he's got a spray uh, paint can in in his hand, <laughs> and he walks in, doesn't say a word, and he shakes it, and you can hear it shaking. Oh, and and on the wall of the writers' wing, he wrote D A N G E or danger. And he went, show, and he went like that. That's what the show lacks. And that's what we're going to do. Like that, I went, whoa, man. <laughs> so then he would call us in, he would call us in, and he would, I'll tell you, these guys from that era were, and I mean this in the most respectful way, they were like off the charts crazy like that, you know? <laughs> and Michael was like, so listen, listen, guys, he sits me in the office. Now I'm new, and I and I don't even want to be there because I don't. I, I've ruined the show so far. I don't want to continue. Oh, <laughs> Donnie, he goes like this. Listen, he's there. He's there, and he goes like this. Piscopo, just he and I in the office, one on one, in one of those little producers' offices. He goes, I don't get you. I don't think you're funny. I don't get it. Like that, like that. And I'm going like I'm going like well, okay. Well, I'll leave now. Yeah. Do you want me to go now? Like that. And then I, I didn't I, like confront him. I said, you know, Michael, I agree with you. I, I don't think I belong here either. And I, I'm honored to see you, man. And, and he goes like, then he softens up and he goes like this. Well, that Sinatra thing's pretty good. I like that Sinatra thing that you do. He goes like that. And after all that adversity, that angst, that blood, sweat and tears, it all worked out. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
What did I want to get off my chest recently? Well, it's probably something you got to get off your chest because we all carry around different stressors, big and small. We just keep things bottled up and then it starts to affect us negatively, David. Negatively. Yeah, it was something about when I was merging and the people weren't waving back to me and bothered me. But, you know, that th- mm-hmm. that's a small stress, but it can be bottled up and yep. get bigger. Therapy mm-hmm. is a safe space to get things off your chest uh, and how to yeah. figure out you know, you got to work through whatever's weighing you down. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And I, I was in therapy. I'm there here and there now, but for five years and you know, it does challenge your thoughts. Cause I'm going to, this is kind of, I don't know if this is profound, but you are your thoughts in some ways. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking redundant, negative things or sad things or whatever, a therapist can, kind of get you out of that kind of negative pattern so Mm -hmm. be the best Mm -hmm. version of yourself um you know and sometimes it can be small things it can be major trauma i think either way Mm -hmm. it's good to talk to someone if you're thinking of starting therapy give better help a try it's entirely online designed to be convenient flexible and suited to your schedule just Mm -hmm. fill out a brief questionnaire get matched with a licensed therapist Switch therapist if uh, you're not into it yeah. anytime, yeah. no additional charge. Mm-hmm. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash F-O-T-W today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash F-O-T-W. Looking to save on delivery? Dash Pass from DoorDash is your door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Dash Pass is an exclusive membership with DoorDash that gets you unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders and members-only deals and discounts. Whether it's food from your favorite restaurants, grocery from across town, or anything in between, Dash Pass is the most affordable way to get everything you need delivered right to your door. With $0 delivery fees and lower service fees on eligible orders, Dash Pass makes it easy to save at restaurants, grocery stores, and all your local favorites on DoorDash. DashPass pays for itself in two orders on average. Plus, DashPass gives you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, all for $9.99 a month. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. By the way... And again, if I can, it, it's, I guess, stop me. But John Belushi was, when he, he was like, a, people don't understand. He was a comedy guy. He was a god, man. He was, sure. It was like, and, and I, and to me, Ackroyd was my guy. Danny, to this day, I have such immense love and respect. for Because Danny really was, he was the, the, he was the captain of that ship, I thought. But John was so great. So we did the shows. We start to catch on a little bit. And then. John would come back and hang a little bit, and Danny Ackroyd came in, and these to me, man, oh, I was yeah. in the top. Of the I, I, it was it was it was Ackroyd and Belushi, yeah. man, oh, and the yeah. Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers. So, and- then, you know, just just every just Kissinger and and Nixon, you know, pray for me, Henry. Remember yeah, that oh, yeah. Right? Of <laughs> He played Nixon with a mustache. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And Danny was the epitome of 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 how to execute a character. So then they go, they go, okay, we're going to an after party at Joe and Episcopo. They go, Episcopo, you're going to after party. We want you to go with us. So we went down to what was the precursor to the House of Blues. It was a hole in the mm-hmm. wall. I don't know if you got, I don't think it was there when you guys went in, no. but it was like in the village and it was just a dive 
and everybody was there. Gilda was there. Alan Bell was there. It was everybody. Mm-hmm. It's a Bennigan's like, now. Oh. Yeah. And, I, and I'm going like, oh, my gosh. And then, and then Belushi comes over to me uh, at, at just one-on-one, and he goes, Piscopo. And, and, and he goes, come here. And so he walks me over to the jukebox, and there's a big jukebox there. And he takes a quarter out of his pocket back in the day. He puts, he puts it in the, in the jukebox, and he punches up Frank Sinatra in New York, New York. And he starts to sing it. And I'm doing dueling Sinatras with John Belushi at a bar in Greenwich Village. And it was uh, that those are the things that happened. Mm-hmm. And we're singing Brandon News. And then to note, it, it became a moment at the party and everybody came around. Wow, look at John's with Piscopo. Look at his head. And as soon as that happened, it became a moment. I saw John and he, he just shied away. He shrunk away and got out of it. All he wanted was a moment. And I felt bad. And I understood when you think people want to be famous, I want to be famous. I want to be. It was not easy, and I, I saw a lot in Eddie, you know, too. When you got that big, it just wasn't easy. But I always appreciated that again, and it was the greatness, the the humor, of John Belushi, the boldness of John Belushi. But I tell you, he had a big heart. He had a big heart, and I saw it right there in that moment. Oh, how lovely! Very, very what great. a great you got Eddie, you got Belushi, Ackroyd's out there, the, the fucking heyday of it all. Jesus. Hey, can I can I ask can I ask a question? Anything, anything. Ask a question? Yeah, we, we have we have no structure. Oh, we don't know oh. what we're doing. <laughs> David, David, can I? David, tell me about, if I may, I would be, I would be at, uh, I went to St. Mollocky's when I, I was on Broadway and I was across the street with St. Mollocky's yeah. and, and then they would tell me Chris Farley was always there at St. Mollocky. Yeah. Oh, right. And then I'm in Beverly Hills and I'm out there and I'm at church and more than once. And I forget if it was a Saturday night mass and there's Chris Farley taking communion, walking like, like he just had partied all night. And I and then we saw each other. I went, Whoa! I said, "Hey, how you doing?" I wish I, I wanted to talk to him. Oh, I didn't I wish want to you did. Him. No, I know no. he would love it. He would have loved his face. Oh, old SNL to talk. He was about had SNL a lot. He, he was completely a, a full on Catholic, and I mean, David knows so much better than I did. But yeah, he was went to church yeah. all the time, right, David? Oh. Yeah, it was all night Saturday, uh, rap party, straight to church, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, yeah, and back to zero. He says, "I'm back to zero. Like he he go in there and confess and do all the things he did. And he goes, five Hail Marys later, I'm back to zero. I'm all good, going to heaven again." I go, "All right, well, let's ruin it again this week." Yeah, uh, yeah. He was very into it, and I think he would have really respected and loved to see anyone from SNL, especially you, did so much. Oh yeah, he would so at his young age. Yeah, he would have been yeah all up in oh. your cast for sure, and you and Eddie. Oh. Yeah. And listen, it's fun for me and Dana because having you on and uh, just hearing this stuff, it brings it all back. And we're lucky to work with who we worked with. And then you got to work with people and you're part of it all. So we heard of your names while we were there. It's the same thing. You Absolutely. Know, you just hear about the cast before you. And I'm seeing you killing on SNL, doing characters and doing what I want to do, you know, before I was yeah, lucky enough to be. get there. Well, <laughs> and you know what, David, I remember we were at, uh, we were in, uh, Hollywood somewhere or Los Angeles somewhere. And I was with my son years ago and you, and it was a sushi place, great sushi place uh, right from the Beverly center. And you walked in, I said, hi, and you were very nice and very respectful. I pre- you know, you appreciate that. And my son was of course, great to see, uh, oh, you know, the great David Spade. No, it was great. And then, and then I remember this. I don't know why I remember this, but I told Dana this the other night, David, uh, when I was in the makeup chair, it was had to be rehearsal or we were doing a pre-shoot or something. And, and I looked in the mirror and a kid stuck his head in and went, Joe, Joe, hey, I'm a big fan. Hi, my name's Dana Carvey. Well, I don't know why we remember that. 
So I, that was before Dana. You were doing a series. You said you were doing a sitcom. I had at a that little time? deal with oh, NBC. Yeah. I got cast on a show called One of the Boys. <laughs> Mickey Rooney was the star. Nathan Lane was the co-star. All of a sudden, I I'm living oh. in New York in 1981, Bang, and I'm shooting this sitcom on the sixth floor. And of course, I was possessed by SNL, and I did go up to the on Thursday a couple times in bleachers, watch you guys running stuff. And then we had the same makeup artist. He would do your makeup on Saturday night or was in the at least working Saturday nights. And I would do my Andy Rooney and do certain impressions. He goes, you got to tell Joe. But I thought I did an Andy Rooney, did it better or something. But I remember finding you somewhere. Joe Piscopo's down this hallway. You know, it's like a big labyrinth. Yeah, I noticed. Hi, I'm Dana Carvey. I must have been really nervous because I was on. Ballsy, Dana. I was on this sitcom. It was it was a death knoll. I mean, talk about it. We're driving this Scatman Carruthers stoned all day. Mickey with a 38 throwing it around the room. <laughs> a revolver. They're not going to get me. So I was in a madhouse. And 72 months later, I got. You're like, hey, Joe, we're both in SAG. I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> but any anyone who does this or anyone who's been to Saturday Night Live, you know, Tracy Morgan called. He says, hey, alum, we're all alums because. What yeah. is there? One six hundred sixty of us, and it's almost fifty yeah. years that that yeah. that experience the pressure and the, whatever yeah. the flinious madness of this. There's a horse. There's uh, people juggling. Now I'm I throw a wig on me and push me out there. So, um, well, we we appreciate it, Joe. Thanks for uh, taking some time out for us, and uh, yeah. love chatting with you. Yeah, listen, with great respect and great love, guys. Joe, Thank you, you so much. yeah, you paint great, great pictures. You're a great storyteller. This was really fun. Yes. And thanks. Thanks man. for filming. We'll see, out, we'll see you out there. See you around campus. Okay, buddy. God bless. Out. God bless. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please follow, subscribe, leave a like, a review, all the stuff. Smash that button, whatever it is, wherever you get your podcasts. Fly on the Wall is executive produced by Dana Carvey and David Spade, Jenna Weiss Berman of Odyssey, Charlie Finan of Brillstein Entertainment, and Heather Santoro. The show's lead producer is Greg Holtzman.